everyone, this is Ashley and welcome to yet another episode of Block, Stock and Barrel. So today we have Michael Odom here with us. And Michael is a sales engineer at TradeIX. So TradeIX is essentially responsible for the development of the Marco Polo network for supply chain and trade finance. And if you're not yet familiar, the Marco Polo network is essentially one of the largest and fastest growing trade finance networks leveraging uh, DLT today with over 30 of the largest banks participating in this network. This includes banks, our names like BNP Paribas, Commerce Bank, Standard Chartered Bank, and etc. Michael comes to TradeIX after a lengthy career at SAP Ariba and his experience during this time dealing with traditional business networks has directly fed into his desire or passion to develop DLT-based decentralized networks at TradeIX. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode of Block, Stock and Barrel with Michael Odom. Hi, welcome to our show. Thanks for having me. So let's just get started into it. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do at TradeIX? Sure. So uh, as you mentioned, I'm a sales engineer uh, and what we do is kind of right there in the name. We're a bridge between the sales team and the engineering team. So uh, the cool thing is we get to work very closely with a number of clients to really understand what are, what are the problems we're trying to solve. And w- with our background in the technology, we can actually apply what we're doing with TradeIX and the Marco Polo Network to help solve those problems. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, just from a, uh, it's awesome in that we get to actually work directly with uh, real people with real problems and uh, find ways to apply a, a standard product, uh, whether it's through customizations or changing processes or just a standard deployment uh, in order to address some of the real challenges that they have. Cool, and let's talk a little bit about your own personal journey. How did you get first get involved with DLT and blockchain? Well, probably. It's your first venture. It really is, yeah. yeah. It, when I first got involved was probably when I lost a bunch of money on uh, Bitcoin back in 2017. But yeah, uh, Although I guess you could say I haven't really lost money yet because I haven't sold and you, you don't really take a loss until you sell, right? Unless it goes to zero, which I, I don't see that happening. But uh, so, yeah, I'm a relative newcomer in the blockchain space. Um, uh, what really interests me about the space is how it ties into, I'll probably use the phrase business challenges quite mm-hmm. a bit because, uh, you know, when I look at uh, how technology can be applied, it's usually solving problems. Uh, so the problem that uh, most recently I've been involved in is connecting businesses through business networks. So uh, prior to coming to uh, TradeIX, I was at SAP Ariba, and they have one of the world's largest business networks, primarily focused on procurement and supply chain. Um, they've done an awesome job building up their network. They have more than 4 million participants, so it's absolutely huge. Um, but they haven't really got into the DLT space. It's built of more, uh, you know, a hub and spoke model, traditional business network. And that's uh, when I heard about what TradeIX was doing, um, not only leveraging the new technologies, but using, uh, being able to do a, a kind of a new approach uh, to a business network, specifically around trade finance as opposed to supply chain. I was really interested. So for me, it was a, kind of a new space to get into, trade finance, new technology, uh, and something I'm pretty excited about. So it's, uh, plus the role is really cool. You know, being able to kind of sit between the business and uh, the engineering teams. Um, mm-hmm. it, I've always kind of been a jack of all trades, master of none. 
Uh, so that uh, allows me to kind of play in a couple of different areas and then pull in the experts as needed. So do you feel like at this point you, like you are very technically proficient uh, with DLT technology? Because like when you talk to, I don't know, like CIOs or people in the enterprise space, their understanding of DLT is very, very different from someone who is developing on the technology. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, if I was having a conversation with a CIO, probably be okay. Uh, if I'm having a conversation with someone who's been working with DLT and blockchain for the last five, six, seven years, I probably will be a little bit out of my element. Uh, but that's where we call in additional members of our team. So we have a, an awesome product team with uh, you know people who have been involved with you know blockchain for many, many years. Uh, some of which are you know. You know, 10 years, 15 years, my junior, and mm. they, they've been working in uh, in these spaces since they were in, you know, you know basically teenagers. So mm. it's uh, it's pretty amazing working with some of these guys. Um, they're just incredibly talented, incredibly smart, and uh, even though they're they're young, they've been really focused on this space for a long time. So in, in a lot of ways, they're you know 28 year old experts in these uh, technologies, which is really cool. Yeah, they've been there to witness like everything that's happened since the start. Yeah, and I mean, that's something that's really cool about TradeIX is we have uh, we have a lot of these young, very talented technical team members, but we also have uh, a lot of team members who have uh, a lot of experience in the trade finance space. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, Rob, our CEO, uh, he has, uh, he basically uh, founded supply chain finance with Prime Revenue uh, back at, uh, mm -hmm. you know, several years ago. And he's been in that space driving and innovating. And uh, you know, coming to TradeAX, he's been able to uh, kind of help shape our direction and uh, you know, change the way that we've been able to approach this market. Um, you look at guys like uh, Tafik, who uh, he's uh, part of our, our revenue team, uh, comes with a very strong background with, uh, with SAP and you know, technology companies and being able to actually uh, you know, drive adoption of the technology. So it goes beyond just you know, what are the nuts and bolts and the ones and zeros into how does it actually affect the users. And being able to take their knowledge has just been very a great mix of the technical as well as the uh, the business aspects that we have within the team. Super cool. It sounds like you guys have a really strong team. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's part it's of the reason. It's a big team now. It is a big team. So we're we're over a hundred people now. Mm -hmm. uh, we have uh, offices in North America, here in Singapore, uh, Dublin, London. So we're we're a global company. Yeah. Um, most of the team is on the development side. Mm -hmm. uh, considering that uh, you know we're you know, we're working with uh, distributed ledger technology, uh, as well as building the you know, the modules uh, on top of the Marco Polo network, mm -hmm. um, it we do have a lot of team members who are um, you know bringing their brain energy into the uh, the development of the product. Mm -hmm. uh, cool. Okay, and yeah, so let's talk a little bit about Marco Polo network. Sure. So could you tell us a little bit more? So we do you do we do see that we do read a lot of news coming from Marco Polo Network naturally being one of like the biggest, the largest, I wouldn't even say trade finance consortiums, like blockchain yeah. based consortiums. Uh, you guys have I think Correct me if I'm wrong, like 30 over yeah. global banks. Yeah, so we have over 30 participants on the network, mm -hmm. uh, combination of uh, large banks, uh, mm -hmm. large corporates, uh, so buyers, uh, suppliers, as well as uh, value-added providers. So, um, you know, uh, 
logistics companies, uh, insurers are all pretty interested. We just announced a, uh, a partnership with Polestar. So being able to take some of that logistics information that's happening in the, uh, the shipping industry and being able to use that information in real time to help banks make financing decisions is pretty cool. Yeah. It's something that, uh, you know, so we're built upon Corda. So uh, being able to uh, leverage the Corda network for a lot of these peer-to-peer uh, transactions and data exchange uh, is very helpful in terms of uh, how the data is permissioned, um, mm-hmm. how we can ensure that, uh, you know, I think a fundamental truth that we've been uh, really driving with uh, through Marco Polo is that, you know, you own your data. Mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, only those participants who should be able to see that data can be permission to it. So it's not mm-hmm. broadcast every way. And that's something that quarter really makes easy for us. Um, yeah. So being able to pr- pull in all of these different uh, participants, let them have their own transactions, their own um, their own interactions across the network, but then uh, permission additional participants in uh, mm-hmm. as needed is uh, something that's pretty cool about what we've built. Yeah. So can we talk a little bit about the trade finance industry and the problem specifically that you are trying to solve with the Marco Polo Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, trade finance covers a lot of different areas. Mm-hmm. So when you look at trade finance, uh, I mean, you can really boil it down into a couple of factors. I mean, there's assets exchanging, exchanging hands, whether it's money or goods. Um, there's risk involved with that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, another lever is time. So looking at how you actually balance the exchange and management of these uh, areas is kind of where trade finance comes in. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there's traditional trade finance with things like letters of credit and guarantees where you have uh, third parties that are helping de-risk some of these transactions. Um, And then you have uh, some other types of trade finance like supply chain finance that looks at how you can, you know, leverage uh, working capital and uh, potentially, uh, you know, it's less about the risk management and more about, you know, I'll give you an example. Uh, if I'm a supplier and I have an invoice and I'm not going to get paid for 90 days, uh, I want that money now. So maybe I can go to my bank and uh, sell them this particular invoice uh, today and get my money today yeah. at a slight discount. And then uh, right. you know, when that invoice matures and it's ready for payment, uh, they'll collect the full amount. So the, the benefit to the bank is they're able to use the, the mounds of cash, the piles of cash that they have and actually make money. Mm-hmm. Uh, the benefit to me as a supplier is that I'm getting paid today so that I can use that money to uh, take on additional initiatives. So um, so there's a lot of different aspects of trade finance. Uh, within Marco Polo, um, we're looking at having a comprehensive platform across you know, risk management mm-hmm. with uh, you know, payment commitments, as well as uh, you know, the working capital management with receivables, discounting, supply chain finance, uh, payables financing, pre-shipment financing, dynamic discount. So a lot of different areas. And that's kind of the the 2020 goal is building out that suite. Um, Mm -hmm. And then short term, I mean, we've already released our our first module, receivables discounting. We're slowly growing out the uh, the platform. We're not trying to to boil the ocean in terms Mm -hmm. of releasing a lot of functionality that doesn't go too deep. Instead, we're looking to go very deep into a couple, uh, a few areas, mm-hmm. uh, really offer something that's a differentiator on the market, uh, and then uh, use that to basically seed the network and begin building out from there. What was the reason or the motivation to apply DLT to trade finance specifically? 
Well, there's a a couple of areas. I, I think when you look at multi-party transactions, mm-hmm. you need those to be seamless and secure. Um, but you also have to understand that there may be independent software systems, platforms, or even business networks that are exchanging this data. Today, how, how is this data being shared or exchanged among all these different parties involved in trade finance right now? A lot of times uh, with you know, systems that are out there today, they have uh, uh, APIs in place. Mm-hmm. So data exchange is through uh, these proprietary APIs that are built. Mm-hmm. One of the challenges there is, um, you know, if, if I'm a bank and I have... 10,000 customers that I want to invite to a program. That's 10,000 different integrations I'm going to have to do. So it's uh, slow. Oh, yeah. It's a, a ton of technical effort. And it's not to say it's not impossible, uh, but it's a, lot of, it's a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of money that would be spent building out all these connections. And it's API one-to-one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, primarily one-to-one. And in some approaches, uh, you, know, you look at some other business networks, and they do have kind of like a hub-and-spoke model where... Um, you can interface once with a, uh, a centralized server, a centralized service, and then they can connect. So these are like the value-added networks or, uh, right. you know, but very much a, a much more centralized approach to the integration across these different parties. Now, the challenge there is uh, you may get the benefit of uh, connect once to connect to many uh, in that you're only connecting to that centralized hub. Mm-hmm. But one of the drawbacks is you're no longer really able to manage, control, and secure your own data. Um, and that's especially a, a challenge if, you know, if that data server happens to be sitting out in somewhere like California mm-hmm. and you have data residency regulations and concerns in, in your country. So uh, th- that's kind of when we look at what we're doing with Marco Polo and how uh, Corda is helping us uh, achieve some of these requirements. It's really having that seamless and secure multi-party uh, transactions across the different systems. Um, second would be really ensuring that users are able to manage, control, and secure their own data, uh, supporting all types of different deployment configurations, whether it's behind the firewall, up on cloud, that's something Marco Polo actually supports. So mm-hmm. full control of your data. And the last one is that connect once to connect to many. That's so important because mm-hmm. if you have to, you can't really build a network if you're spending all of your time connecting point to point across all of these different uh, all of these different partners, uh, yeah, the investment involved trying to absolutely, it's just it's not something that's viable. So instead, what? So uh, the the last area was the uh, connect once to connect to many. Mm-hmm. So the idea there is by setting up your connection, and this is something Corda uh, supports. We can talk more about what Corda does, but uh, there they have a really I would say really great implementation of a distributed ledger mm-hmm. uh, where uh, you have these different nodes. Uh, you don't have one centralized server, mm-hmm. but the way they, they register the nodes and uh, set it up so that uh, different legal identities can identify each other within the network. It's, it's kind of like um, an analogy we like to use is think about email. Do, do you have a Gmail account? Yes. Okay. So imagine if you were on Gmail and you could only talk to people on Gmail. Mm-hmm. That would be a pain in the ass because yeah. if you wanted to talk to someone on Yahoo, you'd have to go to Yahoo and set up an account there, then Hotmail and MSN mm-hmm. and Apple. So uh, that's where digital standards started to come into place. So uh, 
SMTP yeah. is a, essentially a communication protocol on email that allows Gmail to talk to Yahoo, to talk to anybody who has an email address, as long as you f follow that protocol. Mm -hmm. And that's something that um, Corda is helping us provide at that base network layer, is that um, as long as you essentially have the address of who you want to talk to, once you're connected to the network, you can do that. And that's uh, a, a huge uh, a huge benefit and avoids some of the blockers of some of the integration approaches that have been, existed in the past. So in this context, Coda is providing you the ability, providing like separate business networks to speak through. Absolutely. So yeah, there's there's many business networks on yeah. Corda. Uh, you know, another one you may have heard of is uh, like Voltron, as an example. They're also in the trade finance space, uh, more focused on letters of credit. So uh, we almost think of them as a, a sister network because yeah. you know they're also using Corda, they're also in the trade finance space, but they're they're looking at digitizing letters of credit as opposed to. Uh, some of the trade finance areas we're in, uh, but then you know the cool thing is they're they're also using Corda. They deploy using a, a Cord app, and uh, the way that uh, Cord apps are set up is when you have a, a Corda node, you can deploy multiple apps to that mm -hmm. node. Uh, so from a, a scalability perspective, it's uh, uh, they're, they're doing a lot of things right. A lot of things we really like, not only around their infrastructure setup, but uh, how they're leveraging the distributed ledger. Mm -hmm. um, Another core thing that uh, you know, Corda provides is uh, the ability to permission data. So instead of a lot of times when we think about blockchain implementations, the data is broadcast to everybody. That's how you can uh, ensure trust in the network exactly. because everybody has it and you have to have consensus. Yeah. Uh, Corda is taking kind of a, it's a more different, uh, it's a different approach. So uh, they're looking at peer-to-peer uh, -peer connectivity and establishing consensus using uh, other approaches on the network with you know notaries and uh, you know, a lot of a lot of other technology uh, or technology implementations in place to ensure consensus across the ledger. So. Did you did uh, trade IX look at any other different types of DLT platforms? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So in in the early years, trade IX was uh, kind of a blockchain agnostic approach. Uh, okay. But as Corda evolved, as uh, TradeX evolved, it was uh, identified that it was offering and solving a lot of the problems that um, that we knew would continue to come up as we looked at uh, blockchain agnostic approaches. Um, that's not to say that um, it's not to say that we don't want to interact with other networks that may be on a different blockchain implementation. Uh, in fact, I, I think when you look at the future of business networks, that's going to be required. You know, like all of it, it, it should, it, yeah, exactly. It, it shouldn't matter uh, what blockchain implementation you choose. Mm -hmm. um, we should still be able to interact. Um, but today, I, I, it's a question that comes up in every meeting we have, um, right. and the answer is always that is that is a long term vision, and mm -hmm. we're working closely with. Uh, the digital standards initiative uh, to kind of look at how we can get those in place, those standards in place, so that mm -hmm. uh, the different networks can talk to each other. Um, but short term, I think our goal is working with the member uh, member banks and corporates that we have today, delivering the business functionality to address their business problems. That's really the short term focus. Um, and then longer term, as we have a, a large network with uh, tons of uh, transactions going over production uh, at live transactions. 
then we can start to look at how do we get the networks talking together and being able to pull in some of the additional functionality that the other business networks are offering. So you also do, I mean, like obviously you have to speak to a lot of large banks who um, get more, more of them involved in the Marco Polo network. And I, I'm just curious to ask if you feel whether or not banks are still receptive to the idea of like a blockchain-based um, tra- like digital transformation as a value add, like because I, I think, and I, I think I'm asking this question because I think in like 2018, let's say, I think a lot of people, since 2018, a lot of people have been a bit, a little bit jaded from enterprises attempting to experiment with blockchain and then not really doing anything apart from POC. So yeah. do you feel like, and and for the Marco Polo network, it seems that you guys clearly do have like a very strong network of banks that have agreed to participate. So, and as a sales engineer, I assume that you are also quite heavily um, engaged with the participating banks, do you feel like they, it is still easy to get buy-in from banks who join or? Yeah, and, and I think the best way to do it is not even, to not even mention blockchain. Yeah. It's more like, that's like the cherry on top of the ice cream. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you go in and you talk about how the software and the platform addresses the business challenges, that's when people start listening. And then when you mention, oh, and the way we actually get around this is, uh, or the way we actually solve this is using uh, distributed ledger technology. That's just like, OBTW. yeah, yeah. It, 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 at that point, it's just like, you know, from an innovation perspective, we may have wanted something on a, a next gen platform anyway. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you're on a next gen platform and you're already talking about how you're going to address my business challenges, it's not, it's not just doing something on blockchain for blockchain's sake. It's actually leveraging distributed ledger to address the business challenges that could not be addressed before. And that that's really where I think the value proposition is, is uh, just doing something on blockchain that you could have done on other technology. It's like, what, what's the point? Um, you really need to look at what, what does any new technology, what does it offer that previous implementations or technologies either couldn't or it was just too hard to too much effort would uh, need to be involved. And that's where uh, when we look at how we are building a completely decentralized network where mm-hmm. uh, you you have control of your data, uh, you have control of data residency, um, you have control of data permissioning. These are a lot of uh, a lot of topics that uh, have been very challenging to address with previous software as a service models where exactly I mean you have these the previous implementations they they might come in with great business functionality that addresses business challenges Mm -hmm. but there may be some of the aspects from a platform perspective they're not addressing Mm -hmm. and that's something you know balancing uh, you know we're still fairly young in our journey Uh, you know when we look at the business functionality that we offer. As I mentioned, we just went live with our first module uh, a couple of months ago for Seagulls mm-hmm. Discounting. Uh, there are other platforms out there that have lots of modules, very mature functionality, but they're built on uh, old architecture, old UI. I mean, it's just, they, they've been around for years, but their foundation, I feel, is not as strong as what we have. And uh, the fact that we're using, you know, modern frameworks, not, not just DLT and Corda, but uh, the development frameworks that we're using allow us to 
developed very rapidly. Uh, the fact that we're using uh, Corda allows us to address kind of those three points I was talking about before around, mm-hmm. you know, data ownership, connect once to connect to many, uh, being able to connect the different network or the uh, different participants together. Um, the fact that we're able to address these while being on a, a next-gen platform is very, you know, very appealing to the banks. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us a little bit more about some of the trials that you guys have conducted? I think you guys sure. did some one recently in back in December. Yeah, so we've done uh, a number of smaller pilots with individual banks and corporates or sometimes pairings of banks and corporates. Um, but I think what you may be referring to is uh, the global trial that we did yeah, uh, late last year. Less. Yeah, so we had over... 70 organizations across uh, 25 countries uh, where and this was actually something we did uh, working with R3 uh, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it's called a, a court app trial. Mm-hmm. But uh, what we essentially did is, you know, with limited training, these organizations uh, were exchanging invoice data, putting in funding requests and funding responses, setting up these trade finance programs. Mm-hmm. Um, we, got, we spent a couple of weeks walking them through what is Marco Polo, uh, what does it offer, how is it different. Uh, so there, it's a combination of a little bit of learning, education on uh, what, what we're doing within the market. And mm-hmm. then, uh, then you get to play with the software. And uh, we basically handed it over to them for about a week. And um, it, it, what was uh, what was pretty amazing is you you saw the organizations pairing off, uh, setting up these uh, transactions, doing funding requests. Uh, it was really cool, to be honest. Uh, I mean, uh, hundreds of uh, hundreds of people were were involved, uh, and uh, there was a we're quite happy with the results. In fact, uh, you know, we've had a number of subsequent pilot agreements come out of there where organizations have said you know, one week isn't enough. We want to. Uh, we want to actually model some uh, some additional programs. We want to take this. Uh, we want to show it to our our innovation teams, our our finance teams, and uh, yeah, it's uh, we're, we're pretty excited and uh, we're hoping to uh, to continue to do these as we release new modules. And do you find that for the participants a large benefit or the large draw to the Marco Polo network is the fact that you guys have so many participating banks, so many. I think so. Yeah, I mean, we're we're probably one of, if not the fastest growing mm-hmm. trade finance business networks uh, that that are out there today. Um, the fact that we have so many participants um, is it's very strong. Whether you're a, a corporate or a bank, if you're a bank, uh, you know, the benefit is that uh, there there may be other banks that you're already doing business with in other geographies that when you look at uh, some of the risk mitigation flows and orchestrations, you may be already be working with them across things like uh, you know, letters of credit or other types of uh, you know, interactions. Uh, so being able to go on a digital platform, leverage uh, new types of offerings like uh, you know, what we do with payment commitment, uh, it's pretty appealing. Uh, yeah. Basically, you're, you're just establishing a, you know, a digital relationship where you already have a relationship in place. Uh, same thing with the corporates. To be able to see that there are so many banks already on the platform is uh, definitely appealing because uh, in many cases, their bank is already a participating member on Marco Polo. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's just a matter of working with them to uh, 
uh, either establish or migrate existing programs that they may have over onto the platform. <laughs> what kind of other, what other challenges do you guys face um, in terms of trying to build, expand your business network? Well, I think um, onboarding is one of the challenges I'm most interested in. So having come from a, a business network background at Ariba, uh, understanding that uh, it's not just the technical aspects of onboarding, but also the uh, the change management and the processes involved. Um, when you onboard a new participant, whether it's a, a bank or a buyer or a supplier or a logistics provider, um, it has to be a seamless process. Uh, it has to be easy to use. Uh, adoption is key to, to any business network, to any network at all. I mean, it, you look at... Um, I'm sure there are tons of um, social media networks out there that had some awesome, awesome features, probably better than the Facebooks and the, I was about to say MySpace and, and date myself a little bit. But, but you, you can look at the history of some of these uh, social networks and it's a social network or any network is nothing without participants. Mm -hmm. So being able to very quickly bring a new participant on board, uh, show them how the network can provide them value mm -hmm. and uh, get them to adopt the platform and start using the platform is, is key. And uh, But that's kind of the, the change management aspect. There's also the technical aspect. Um, you know, with the, our, our technical approach, you know, with every, every organization that joins having essentially their own node, um, there are some technical challenges there as well. How do we spin up a node very quickly? Um, mm -hmm. How do we identify the right uh, uh, data, uh, data center to put that within? Uh, do we leave this to the choice of the users? How, I mean, how, how, do we, how do we make this an easy, seamless process um, from an onboarding perspective? And uh, that, that's where, um, you know, I, honestly, I, I think we're still learning a lot. Um, mm -hmm. There are a couple of different approaches. Um, I don't necessarily know if setting up every single small supplier that joins Marco Polo with their own node is the right approach. Um, but there, you know, Cord is doing some really cool things in terms of uh, they just released new functionality. Or they call them accounts. So basically, being able to have multiple different uh, entities on a single node that could be. A, yeah, yeah, essentially. So uh, that could be a very scalable approach for handling a lot of these smaller uh, suppliers. But in this case, your your data on the channel is not visible. No, no, it, it wouldn't. No, not at all. I mean, they, they definitely do the data uh, provisioning to ensure okay. that uh, even though it may be, it, it just becomes a it's like a multi-tenant right. model at that uh, at that point. But uh, yeah, Quarter's doing uh, doing things to ensure that uh, mm -hmm. it, it's still identifiable on the network, uh, so that when you when you're sending data to that entity, it's it's not visible to anybody else. So that, I mean, that's that's mm -hmm. core to what they're doing. That's core to what we're doing with Marco Polo. So mm -hmm. as we explore that functionality, uh, we're not not as concerned about that. We're just uh, it's, it's fairly recent. It was part of their I want to say their four point four point three release. Mm -hmm. So. Um, yeah, you know, we're we're exploring it and seeing how it would fit in as part of uh, as part of our approach to the massive onboarding that would uh, come into play with supply chain finance. But as of now, onto when you try to onboard new participants onto your platform, is you mentioned that the platform is very very intuitive. There's just yeah. So 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of addressing the change management aspects. Um, yeah, it's got to be simple, easy to use. Um, the training has to be minimal. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, ideally, like, d- did you, I mean, you. I assume you have a Facebook account. Did you use training for Facebook? No, you just get in there and you start clicking around and you figure it out. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that's what we expect from consumer applications. Uh, we should yeah. expect the same from our business applications as well. So, so I think this, I mean, like, you've given me quite like a rosy, positive outlook on the future of uh, digital trade finance. Um, do you think what what other technical and non-technical challenge have you identified um, that you think would make enterprise adoption difficult? Yeah, I think standardization is going to be huge. Mm -hmm. It's uh, everybody's kind of doing their own thing right now. Um, And I think it's important to show um, uh, show viability of the technology to show uh, that people are actually interested in. And again, I mentioned I'd bring up the topic of uh, business challenges quite a bit, but show that we're actually addressing the business challenges. Um, But as these different networks grow, uh, we want to see them interacting and standardization is going to be important. That's a, such a challenge because everybody kind of has a view as to what the right approach is. Um, and that's where I think initiatives like, uh, you know, digital standards initiative that the ICC is, uh, is coordinating are going to be very important uh, mm-hmm. to ensuring that everybody is you know when I send a, a purchase order out, it's the same format and data uh, that uh, you would be expecting whether you're on Marco Polo or any other platform. Just like with with email, I mean, you think about how uh, how different technologies have grown. Uh, you know, the fact that w- with email, SMTP provides that base layer. Uh, I mean, the internet with you know TCP IP. Um, Cell phones uh, with uh, the the the, uh, the base networks that they operate on, having that standardization is very important, uh, and I think that's going to be one of the big challenges. Um, and the, with regards to the digital standards initiative, is this industry specific? Like, do they do they work? across industries or is it just more trade finance or are they that's actually a fantastic question that I, I I don't have a solid answer for I, I believe it is uh, I believe it is cross industry okay. um, it is it's still in the early stages uh, I believe they're uh, they're organizing and uh, there should be some announcements on that later this month mm-hmm. um, but uh, it's at, at this point so uh, you know, trade X helped get the ball rolling there with some of the uh, the member banks and uh, and it was ultimately adopted by uh, the ICC. Mm-hmm. Um, and at this point, it's basically been handed over. So we're right. basically waiting to see, hey, what's what's going to come out in 2020? And but uh, yeah, very interested to see what's going to take place there, because that's, that's going to drive a lot of the acceptance of mm-hmm. uh, the different types of formats that uh, that the data are in, uh, how it's going to be accepted throughout the market. Uh, you know, how does a uh, a, a payment uh, undertaking, uh, a digital payment undertaking. How is that compared to paper? You know, some of these, by establishing these standards, putting together these rule books and understanding how the digital, uh, these new uh, digital formats are actually going to uh, mm-hmm. uh, 
exist in the market and how they're going to be enforceable, it's uh, it's still kind of up in the air. But I, I think we're on the right path. Does TradeIX also explore other um, areas for use cases? So it's primarily just um, Marco Polo network. So I think the long term goal is that you know Marco Polo is providing an ecosystem where uh, mm-hmm. anybody can come in and develop an application on top of it. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to use another analogy, but you can think of like Corda as the that base networking layer that facilitates the communication across nodes, kind of like a, a cell phone network. On top of that, we have Marco Polo, which is providing the basic services and functionality like a, like an operating system, like your iOS. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, uh, you have uh, the different modules and applications built upon Marco Polo that allow us to address different types of business challenges, whether it's receivables discounting as an app, uh, you know, supply chain finance, but we can go outside of these areas too, because mm-hmm. you look at the data that's exchanged. Uh, so being able to do things like supply chain forecasting or uh, okay. or logistics information, track and trace, these are things that we're not gonna do within TradeIX. We're not gonna develop those applications, but we would look to external parties to build upon the Marco Polo ecosystem, okay. provide those apps and uh, be able to interoperate. Uh, Okay, and then so with this analogy, let's say I bring in Voltron, for example, another quarter. How would that, what would represent them in this analogy? It would, it would be a separate operating yeah. system? Or- yeah, so, so they, they wouldn't be uh, so much a separate operating system. Ideally, they would be, uh, okay. essentially, uh, they would be an additional application on top of Marco Polo. Right. So uh, now... We're, we're kind of like solutioning here, but uh, <laughs> I, they, they, there may be, I, there's probably a, a, several different approaches, but the way I see it, whether it's Voltron or another like provider. Any other type of product. Yeah, uh, Marco Polo would be that base layer where mm-hmm. uh, providing the, the core services needed for uh, interoperability, uh, for trade and supply chain functions. And then on top of that, you have the different modules. So if, uh, if a letter of credit uh, needed to be issued, it could use Marco Polo as that fundamental operating system um, mm-hmm. to be able to help facilitate the additional functionality that uh, that particular application was providing. Because, uh, I mean, y- you think about how our phones exchange data today. Mm-hmm. Uh, this morning I got up, I went for a run and I tracked it in RunKeeper app. Uh, I ate breakfast and entered that into my fitness pal or whatever it is. So I tracked my food. All of this is being managed by iOS and mm-hmm. you can actually share data across the apps uh, using the health framework that they have. Uh, right, okay. So being able to do this from a, uh, a supply chain and trade finance perspective, uh, it's basically the same concepts. It's just, uh, you know, we're, we're leveraging Marco Polo as the, mm-hmm. the ecosystem right. providing uh, those interoperabilities. So I think we are running out of time slightly. We've like overrun by 20 minutes. Yeah. So I think my last one or two questions to you is that apart from trade finance and supply chain, where else do you see strong use cases for a DLT? I think one of the areas that uh, could really be strong is when we look at uh, kind of supply chain. So, I'm sorry. Supply chain. <laughs> supply chain traceability. Uh, so supply chain traceability. I'm going to have a lot of trouble saying that. Uh, been talking nonstop for 40 minutes, oh, but we record that part. Yeah. Replace. Replace it with my voice. Yeah. Supply chain traceability, but. Uh, 
No, so supply chain traceability seems pretty promising. Um, I think anywhere where there is uh, a trust that needs to be established across multiple parties, that's important to an end result. Um, There's potentially a use case for blockchain distributed Mm -hmm. ledger, Uh, being able to take a look at everything that's happened over the life of a particular transaction, uh, especially when multiple parties are involved. That's where uh, having a distributed ledger in place can really uh, ensure that that trust is there without having to have a a central third party stamping everything and overseeing, because that's just impossible. You're never going to be able to have that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that distributed trust is uh, is very important. And Mm -hmm. I think anytime where you have that that type of uh, multi-party interaction, where you don't have someone overseeing everything and validating the data, being able to uh, to check that and uh, you know uh, leverage uh, DLT is uh, you know potential use case. Okay, very cool. All right, so I think I'll I'll won't take up any more of your time. No, I was uh, happy thank, to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. This was extremely insightful for myself, and I hope for anyone that's listening. And I look forward to hearing a lot more about TradeIX Marvel Network in the future. No, oh, I'm I'm sure you will. <laughs> we're we're really excited. 2020 is going to be a huge year. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Thank you. Oh, thank you.